Well, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 17. I'd like to thank Bertie tonight uh, for his offer and his invitation to speak for him tonight and um, for his own faithful ministry that we really enjoy here at the Lifeboat. And may the Lord bless him and his family in the days that lie ahead. I'd also like to thank the girls tonight uh, for coming at short notice all the way from Oma, and we have really enjoyed their ministry and song to us this evening. Matthew 17, and we'll break into the chapter at um, verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, that take, and give unto them for me and thee. We'll just bow in a wee word of prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight um, for the precious Word of God. We thank you for the days in which we live, that we still have the freedom to listen to the Word and to preach the Word in all its fullness. And we thank you, Lord, for this fellowship here at the side of the, the Moy Road that has been faithful to your Word down through the years. And, Lord, we pray that the best years will yet as yet to come. And we're looking to you, Lord, for great and mighty things. Thank you for what our ears have already heard tonight and for the blessing that has been to each one of us already in this meeting. And Lord, now, Lord, if you come to look at your word, we pray, Father, that you'll speak to each one of us this evening. And if there's any in our gathering still not saved, still outside of Christ, not only at the side of the Moy Road, but firmly on the Broad Road, Lord, we pray that tonight that they will... Uh, come to Christ, seek forgiveness, and enjoy eternal life. If we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have here in these few verses of Scripture a miracle that was performed by the Lord when a coin was discovered in the mouth of a fish. Now, some of my earliest memories of my children are when we went fishing in the black water, which meanders through the fields just below our house. For us, it was just a miracle at all just to catch a fish, never mind to catch a fish with something in its mouth. But on occasions, we were successful, and we've got the photographs to prove it. Sometimes, though, even professional fishermen find it difficult to catch fish. In the Word of God, sometimes we see that Peter and Andrew and James and John found it difficult to catch fish. Sometimes they fished all night without catching a thing, which must have been very, very discouraging. Sometimes that's the way in the Lord's work. Sometimes a preacher can fish for years without catching a thing. 
but we must continue to do the fishing. Keep on doing what we've been called to do until the Lord turns up and tells us to cast our net on the right side of the ship, and then we will see the miracle. Now, we don't know when that might take place. It could happen at the Holiday Bible Club in July. It could happen at the open airs in the summer. It might even happen in the barn during the autumn. But we must continue to fish. And if you're not involved in the fishing, then you're going to miss out on the whole thing, and you're going to miss out on the blessing that God will send. At least eight of the Lord's miracles were that he, that he performed involved Peter. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. He helped Peter catch fish. He enabled him to walk on water. He healed the ear of Malchus, which Peter sliced off with a sword, and he delivered Peter from prison. So it's no wonder that Peter was able to write, cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This miracle was to do with the paying of tribute money, which was a, some sort of religious tax that every Jewish male over 20 was expected to pay for the upkeep of the temple. Matthew is the only gospel writer to record this miracle. Matthew was an ex-tax collector, so this particular miracle would have struck a special interest with him and would have stuck in his mind. So tonight, for a few moments, let us see what we can draw out of, this, of these few verses of Scripture when Peter discovered the tribute money in the trout's teeth. First of all, we see here the collectors of this miracle. This miracle took place in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the, the temple tax collectors, they, they, they asked Peter, does your master not pay the tribute? And immediately Peter answers in the affirmative. He says, well, yes, he does. This tax first commenced in, way back in the wilderness when, when God instructed Moses to take a half shekel of, uh, from every meal out in the wilderness. It was used then to, to pay into the tabernacle. Later on, it was used to rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. And now, 500 years later, it was used to support the temple ministry. It was a legitimate tax. But just like any taxation, the money that was often misused, just like our government today misuses our taxes. For example, in the United Kingdom, a Welsh county council spent £190,000 on bridges to help dormice cross the road. The MOD, they spent £22 each on light bulbs that would normally cost 65 pence each in any hardware shop. Crawley County Council, they spent over £5,000 in hot drinks from a vending machine when the equivalent number of tea bags would have cost around £200. And then even in our own province, a number of years ago, the office of OFM-DFM, led by the late Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley and Stormont, allocated £180,000 over a 12-month period to sodomy, a total misuse of our taxes. The question asked by the collectors was not an innocent question. The religious leaders despised the Lord, you see. He spoke the truth, and they hated the truth. You see, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Religious leaders were not required to pay this tax, so this was a backhanded way of saying that Christ was not a legitimate teacher. He wasn't one of them. To them, he was just an untrained carpenter who had never been to Bible college and was not exempt from paying his taxes, even though the Lord was able to tie those boys in knots in any debate. They were always looking for ways to discredit the Lord. 
So he was rarely asked an innocent question. And underneath many inquiries was the venom of a snake, hoping to trap the Lord and use his answer as ammunition against him later on. And you'll find these people in a lot of fellowships today, hoping to get information about someone, not to pray for them, not to lift them high to the throne of grace, but to gossip so they can spread their dirt and kick a brother or sister when they're down. The fact that this was beginning to happen here, it signals the changing attitude towards the Lord by the religious community. The respect and the curiosity and the reverence that he once enjoyed at the early stages of his ministry is now starting to diminish, and so he loses his tax exemption. Friend, the Church of Christ must also prepare for losing our tax exemption and our charity status. When respect for Christ and the Word of God starts to diminish, and the work of God and the work of Christ, it'll lose its privileges and its tax exemptions. And that is happening today. A Christian rugby player can't tweet a verse of Scripture without losing his job. So the church of God, how can we expect to preach the truth and be able to keep the privileges of a government that despises God and despises His truth? We will shortly be required to jump through hoops and support abominations, perform twisted marriage, which no true believer could ever do. But even if they threatened to close us down, it would be better to meet in a silopit or a hayshade or under a tree than to offend God. Peter was quick in his response as he normally was. He didn't stop to think to himself if his master really had to pay this tax. Peter was quick for two reasons. First of all, he didn't want to bring dishonor to the Lord. Paying the tribute was a a good thing. It was for a good cause, and he didn't want the public thinking that the Lord was in opposition to the work and the worship of God. Even though many of the priests were corrupt, the temple itself represented the worship of God and was not to be forsaken or neglected. Many grand buildings today do not preach the word of God. We know that. But the fact that they stand in prominent places throughout our towns and our cities reminds everyone every day that there is a God and a God one day they will have to give an account to. Be sure of that, friend, tonight. There is a God in heaven. And one day each one of us will have to give an account to God. Peter knew that Christ would be supportive of the work of God and he wanted to show Christ's enthusiasm for what the temple represented. And you know, we should all be enthusiastic when it comes to maintaining the house of God. Whether it's on the cleaning rota or the children's work or the youth work, we should always be ready and available to care for the worship of God and the work of God. But Peter was also quick to respond because he didn't want to bring danger to the Lord. Jesus had told them in verses 23 and 24 that he was going to be betrayed and killed. So Peter was protecting the Lord here and he was eager to keep the peace. Later on, Paul said, if it's possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. So out of concern for the Lord's safety, Peter answers, yes, of course he pays his tribute money. Of course he pays his temple tax. It is commendable here that Peter was concerned about the honor and the welfare of Christ. And Peter teaches us all a lesson here. We should say nothing in public or in private that would bring dishonor to our Savior. And then we see the council here before the miracle. Now, when Jesus was alone with Peter in the house, it says, we don't know whose house it was. It might have been Peter's uh, mother-in-law because she, she lived in Capernaum. But before Peter could say another word, 
Jesus confronts him and sets him straight here on a few things. I wonder if there's someone here and you're not sure what to do, how to react and where to go. Well, you know, sometimes we just have to stop and listen to what God wants to say to us. Jesus says to Peter in verse 25, Who do the kings of the earth take tax from? Is it from their sons or from their subjects? Peter answers that they take taxes from their subjects. And Jesus confirms this by saying, well, then are the children or the sons of the king free? And here we have the omniscience of Christ on display. You see, he knew exactly what was going on in the mind of Peter and why Peter responded to the collectors in the way that he did. He knows about everything that we do. He knows about everything that we tax and everything we watch and everything we think. Nothing ever escapes him and we can hide absolutely nothing from him. And this is encouraging to the faithful child of God tonight. Others may not see what you do, the the days that you spend in preparation for your sermon, the, the hours that you put into prayer, the problems you have in your home, the battles that you fight with temptation every day, but God sees it all. It's also a warning to those who are being disobedient because he sees your lack of compassion for the lost, he notes the lack of love that you have for him, And he sees how unchristlike you are in the workplace and in the school. It's also a reminder of the danger that you're in tonight, sinner, if if you continue on your path of self-destruction, because you're under the wrath of an all-seeing God. Jesus said, He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Christ went on to counsel Peter by, first of all, explaining his own exemption. You see, if anyone shouldn't have to pay into the temple, then it must have been him. The Lord gave us an illustration, the fact that the kings do not tax their family, but they tax their subjects. In John 2 and 16, Jesus accused the money changers of turning his father's house into a house of merchandise. So being the son of a king or the son of God, he shouldn't be taxed to take care of his own father's house. The temple should be honoring Christ with its resources, not taxing Christ to pay for its resources. Of course, these guys that were collecting the tribute money, they didn't recognize the Lord as the Son of God, but Peter did. He had no excuse. He should have known better. He had confessed him as the Son of God several times earlier. Matthew 16, verse 16, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. However, even though Christ is exempt here, the tribute money is still going to be paid. Because Jesus says in verse 27, notwithstanding lest we should offend them. Jesus had no intentions to insist on his right of exemption. He would not argue his corner in case he would unnecessarily offend people. He had every right to demand recognition and his proper place, but he remained humble. For practical reasons, Jesus paid the money so that his testimony among the Jews would not be damaged. We should all be prepared to show humility in situations which could open the doors for the gospel later on. You can win an argument on the street or on the doorstep and lose a soul forever. We live in a world today that increasingly demands our rights. But you know, when you think about what rights do we children of the dirt and hell-deserving sinners really have? Surely the only rights we deserve is the lake of fire. It is not our rights that we need. It is God's mercy. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So you see, the unbeliever has no rights to heaven. 
He went on to say, Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor the abusers of themselves with mankind. And there, Paul, he, he, that covers the whole LGBTQ people that we call today. The homosexuals, the lesbians, the transsexuals, the bisexuals, the transvestites. He went on to say, The thieves, the covetous, the drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners, none of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. That Australian rugby player was absolutely right. He just quoted scripture. You see, we have no rights to heaven. So what rights do we have? Well, John on the Isle of Patmos wrote, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. There's a lot of liars today in politics. Promising that we'll be out of the EU by 29th of March. We're still in it. A lot of liars. And they shall all have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. But praise God, Christ is the Savior from all of that sin if those guys would only let him in. Christ did not compromise by doing evil in order to keep from offending people. But he waived the exercising of his legitimate rights in order that he might not offend others unnecessarily. Christians, and especially some in politics, are now doing the opposite. They compromise with evil in an attempt to appear less offensive, but we're called to obey God rather than men, even when the laws of man conflict with the laws of God. What an example Asher's Bakery has been to us all. There are times in order to be faithful to God and to his word and to his righteousness, we will inevitably offend people. And we must not hesitate to offend people when it comes to obeying God. Because at the end of the day, the gospel will offend sinners. Christ never hesitated to offend evil. And he never missed an opportunity to point out the hypocrisy of unnecessary laws and traditions that were made up by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Even the disciples knew that his preaching was offensive to the Pharisees. He said in Matthew 15 and 12, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But you know, when right and wrong were not the issue, Christ readily gave up his own rights in order that he might not upset others needlessly. It would have caused great offense to the people of Capernaum who, who knew him so well if he had refused to pay his temple tax. They wouldn't have understood the, the deep reasons that he had just shared with Peter they would have assumed that a great rabbi and teacher declined to pay into the work of God. They would have seen him as just another money grabber and it would have done great harm to the cause of the gospel. Perhaps even bring persecution to Peter's in-laws in Capernaum. There are too many charlatans already doing harm to the gospel message. Sometimes it's best to just to take a hit for the gospel and the souls of men instead of seeing people walk away from your Savior and never getting to heaven just because you wanted your rights here on earth. But we also see the cause of the miracle. In verse 27, Christ tells Peter how he would get the money to pay for the temple tax. It would be obtained here by a miracle. He told Peter to go to the sea to cast in a hook into the water and land the first fish that, that bit on the hook. And when you would open his mouth, he would find what he, would, what he needed. You can imagine the excitement on Peter's face as off he runs to the seashore. You see, it had to be a miracle because 
Christ had no money to pay the temple tax. This miracle reminds us of the great earthly poverty that our Savior was in. He also had to borrow a coin to explain why people should pay their taxes to Caesar. He was the complete opposite of the prosperity preachers that we hear about today. The Lord was penniless. And yet he didn't suffer starvation due to the lack of food. He didn't suffer frostbite due to the lack of clothing. No, his needs were always met. But he did suffer. And he did die because of our spiritual poverty and our need of redemption. Christ did not have the half shackle, which was about two days' wages, to pay the temple tax. So he had to provide it through a miracle. We would say he didn't have two pennies to rub together. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ was a miracle worker. He could have earned a fortune healing people, feeding people, casting out demons. Can you imagine how much the rich man in Luke 16, how much his family would have paid Jesus to raise their brother from the dead? And yet he did all his good works for absolutely nothing. He did it for free. He didn't charge those poor people a penny. And it reminds us all tonight that his salvation is absolutely free. How different. How different Jesus is to the Catholic Church who sold indulgences for the pardoning of sins for centuries, building the Vatican and some of the most impressive cathedral buildings in the world. And they still charge for mass for the dead. No, Christ is different, so different. Paul said, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. In contrast to the Lord, many famous preachers today seem quite willing to accumulate great wealth for themselves. Their greed and their deceitfulness put them in great contrast to the one that they profess to serve. In fact, they profess faith in Christ simply to earn and gain money. Tech TV preacher Jesse Duplantis, who boasts of having 22 chandeliers in his house, and each one of the chandeliers costs more than the average person's house. That's what he said. He says that his congregation is the world, and that's why he needs his private jet that costs him $54 million. He says if Jesus was on earth today, he wouldn't be riding around on a donkey. A journey that would cost $180 on a commercial aeroplane costs him $14,000 in his private jet. And yet he says God told him to have that plane. And then we have prosperity preacher Kenneth Copeland. He's got his own airport with not one but two private jets next to his luxurious mansion. He says he wouldn't travel in a commercial aeroplane because it would be be like getting into a, a long tube full of demons. He says God made the aeroplane so cheap for him that he just couldn't help but buy it. And yet people still send these people money. The Son of God, who had absolutely nothing on earth, says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In fact, they're a bit like the fish in the story with the coin in his mouth, choking with riches and yet wanting more. The Lord wasn't interested in materialism. You know, he could have sent Peter out on his boat that day with a net to bring in hundreds of fish, and every one of those fish could have had a coin in its mouth. But no, he sent Peter out with one hook, for one fish, just enough to pay the tribute 
for one occasion. He teaches us all not to covet the world's treasure. He teaches us to be content with what we have now in our present circumstances. To be content with your car, to be content with your wee home, to be content with your job and your wages, and never doubt God, even if you have to live from hand to mouth. But the Lord's attitude to riches is alien to a lot of folk, even among Christians today, because there's something in us that wants, us, wants to invest. We want to see our bank accounts rise. We want to see our, pro- our property portfolios expand. We want more and more and more, whether we need it or not. Boxer Floyd May- Mayweather spent 36 in the, uh, minutes in the, in the boxing ring with Conor McGregor, earned himself $275 million. Barcelona footballer Lionel Messi earns $111 million a year through wages and bonuses and sponsorships. And people like that will never spend what they earn, and yet they're not satisfied. And you know, so many Christians are just like them. They are not content with such things as they have. In fact, the only time they are content with little is when it comes to spiritual things. And that's why you might never see them in the prayer meeting. They think they can do without the prayer meeting, they're not interested in the prayer meeting. But when, but when are we going to understand and realize that there are better things and more important things in life than money? That the best things in life really are free? When are we going to understand that the salvation of our children is much more important than good exam results, a good career, all the money in the world? You know, I'd rather live the rest of my life in a tent and see my children in heaven than to live for a few years in Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle and see them tormented in the flame for all eternity. And then finally here we see the character of this miracle. The miracle allowed Peter to see that even though Christ was humbling himself to pay the tribute money, it did not mean that Christ wasn't all that he claimed to be. Paying the tax might give the impression that Christ was not the Son of God after all, and he was just on the same level as everyone else. But providing the tax through a miracle, Peter could now see that Jesus was everything he claimed to be. Unsaved friend tonight, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is everything he claims to be. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Here we have the supernatural in these few verses working overtime. Here we have a long, long line of impossibilities. You might call it a series of mini miracles which could only be arranged through the providence of God and the divine knowledge of God. We see here six things in this verse 27. First of all, someone had to lose the coin in the water. Second, the fish had to pick up the coin. Third, the fish had to retain the coin in its mouth. Four, out of the thousands of fish in the Sea of Galilee, Peter caught that one fish. Five, the coin was the exact value needed. And six, the fish bit on the hook, even though its mouth was already full. Many years ago before we, our family started to come to the lifeboat, I took Joshua and I think it was Joel in the van one night down to the evening service and uh, on the way out the boys got lollipops. We were going back up the motorway 
and uh, the boys were sucking on their lollipops, and uh, it was a good job we were in the van, because Joshua was sick, sit, sitting next to me. If he had been maybe sitting in the back seat of the car, I mightn't have noticed what was going on. But he was enjoying his lollipop, and the next thing, the lolly bit came off the stick and lodged in his throat. And he was choking. Couldn't breathe. And I was probably traveling at 60 or 70 miles an hour, and without thinking, I pushed him forward and gave him one slap on the back, and the lolly came flying out of his mouth and hit the dash of the van. The thing is, if I had have offered Joshua a sweet in the middle of all that, do you think he would have taken it? Of course he wouldn't. He was choking, couldn't breathe. And yet, here we have a fish with a coin lodged in its mouth, and it's hungry for more. It's almost as if this fish wanted to be caught. It reminds me of my time when we were in Israel and I watched a man with a fistful of bread just hovering his hand over the surface of the Sea of Galilee and the fish were actually jumping out of the water to eat the bread out of his hand. In this miracle, we see the deity of Christ and we see the humanity of Christ. The deity of Christ by the way he provided the coin and we see the humanity of Christ by the way he simply paid his taxes just like everyone else. And this incident teaches us something else here. It teaches us that God will not do supernaturally what can be done naturally and what we can do ourselves. Peter was told to go to the sea, to cast in a hook, and to take up the first fish that he caught. The human part in the miracle was Peter's fishing, Peter's obedience. Christ would provide the miracle, but only if Peter cooperated by doing his part. The fish didn't jump out of the sea onto the beach and spit out the coin the way that the fish did with Jonah. No, that was unnecessary, for Peter could do all that himself. Christ would do what Peter could not do, but he wouldn't do what Peter could do. So friends, don't be asking God to do things that you can very well do yourself. When Peter obeyed the word of the Lord, it was then that the blessing came. You know, God will work the miracle in conjunction with his commands. If God is asking you to do something or go to someone, then go. Otherwise, the blessing will not come. I don't need to tell you, friends, that we need a miracle to keep abortion and fake marriage out of Northern Ireland because the agents of the devil all around the world are against us. Even most of the political parties here in Northern Ireland are against us. So what does this portion of Scripture teach us to do tonight? Well, it teaches us to remain faithful. We remain obedient to the word, and the miracle will come. It's simple, really. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. There's a promise from God. And if you're not praying, and you're involved in some sort of sin, and abortion comes, and they start to rip up apart a little unborn baby in the mother's womb, then we can't go blaming the politicians. We have to blame ourselves. We'll be to blame. It says, if my people, not of the politicians, if my people, called by my name. And you know, putting sodomy into government, whether it's Westminster or Stormont or even in local government, 
By putting sodomy into, into government with the support and the blessing of Christians, it is the complete opposite of what we should be doing. And disobedience will bring the wrath of God upon our province. That's a fact. Uh, DUP MP for East Belfast, Gavin Robinson, said that the election of the, the DUP's first lesbian councillor was, and I quote, a good news story. No, Mr. Robinson. There is only one good news story, and it is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I don't think much of the DUP's alternative to God's good news story. And the party that once said, keep sodomy out of Ulster, now says it's a good thing that it's in. May God have mercy on us all. Friends, sodomy is a curse. A curse that only God can break in any individual and a sin only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse. Our brother Bertie mentioned uh, the frog becoming acclimatized this morning to the hot water. And it's just like the Christian becoming acclimatized to sin. And as events unfold, we see that happening in our own province. First of all, we started to share power with the devil. And we've been going downhill ever since. Then we had the pardoning of the sodomites of their past crimes. Then we have recently the hosting and the speaking at gay pride events last summer. And then we had the attendance at the Gaelic match on the Lord's Day. And now we're putting sodomy into power. And each time they say, oh, you know, it's not really that important. But, you know, slice by slice by slice, they give up on everything that they once stood for until one day the whole loaf will be gone. Political parties can become an idol to Christians. They start to put their party before the Lord. Actually, they are putting their pocket before the Lord because their income and their wages depends on the popularity of the party. And so to get more votes, they accept things and support things and do things and excuse things that God despises. And we see that today. If we want revival in our province, if we want to see our loved ones saved, then we must pray, we must live righteous lives, we must share the gospel, and then God will perform the miracle. And it has to be a miracle because we have no power or no ability to save anyone. But if we see tonight that if we do our job, God will do his job because he is 100% faithful. At the moment, we are fishing with a hook. But when revival comes, believe me, we're going to need a net. And it's important that we have the structures in place here in our own fellowship to accommodate the numbers that God is going to send to us. We need the children's work in place, and we thank Rhonda and her team for that. We need the youth work in place, and we're doing that. And then we need the Peters, people of God prepared to step forward and catch the fish. Peter heard the instructions of Christ. He went out, and he obeyed those instructions, and within a very short time, the miracle came. And he had the coin to pay the tribute. Human obedience brings divine blessing in every area of our lives. 
You'll remember, and again, Bertie mentioned it this morning, the Israelites, they, they disobeyed. And their country was decimated. And friends, if we disobey now, and we start to capitulate to sodomy and abortion, our country will be destroyed, and that's where we are headed. And if you're not saved tonight, friend, then God's instruction to you is to repent and believe this wonderful gospel. And if you obey that instruction, the miracle will take place and the blessing will come. Abundant life, eternal life, and a home prepared for you in heaven. I'm quite disappointed here that there isn't a verse 28. It's not here, it's missing. A verse that tells us that the moment when Peter caught the fish, it's not here. It's not here because I think Matthew didn't go with Peter to do the fishing. He didn't witness the miracle. Matthew was a tax collector. He wasn't interested in fishing. He didn't, he didn't go. He, he had no interest in fishing. Not a fisherman. So how do we know tonight in the lifeboat that the fish was caught? Well, we know because Jesus said in his word that it would be caught. So how do you know tonight, sinner, that you'll be saved? Because God says in his word, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, trust him. And he will definitely do it. If you repent, he will work the miracle in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight that there is hope. There is hope for the homosexual. There's hope for the lesbian, for the drunkard, for the adulterer, for the liar, the thief, the idolater. There's hope tonight for for those that have failed during last week. There is hope for those that might even let you down this week. We thank you that this hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, we do thank you for the miracles that are available to each one of us if we are faithful and obedient to you. Thank you for reminding us tonight, Lord, of your faithfulness. And now, Lord, we pray as we go our separate ways that you'll take us to our homes in safety, that you'll bless us and our families this week. Help us, Lord, to live for you and to be a real good ambassadors of Jesus Christ and to be faithful and to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.